Okay, are you good? Can I have a piece of that donut? No. That's my donut. <laughs> my donut. What is it, maple? Yeah. Maple frosting? God, I love maple frosting. It's a good day because I walked in and there's a maple frosting donut. Is that Dunkin' Donuts? Yeah. Dunkin' Donuts? The Dunkin' Donuts by my house doesn't do that good because nobody buys them, so I'm getting That's because no Canadians live up there. We'll get to that. We'll get to the Canadians later. All right. Here we are, gathered again in, uh, where are we? In the library at Northern Seminary. Wait, what's the Griffiths that? Conference Center. Conference room. Griffiths Conference, Conference room. Griffiths Conference room, Northern Seminary. Dave always wants to be sure we know that. On our last uh, podcast, we talked about getting off the train, about getting off the train, running on the dual tracks of conservative evangelicalism and sometimes progressive or liberalism, and how these things are really kind of in the same mindset, the same milieu. Same frame. Same, same... For lack of a better word, uh, same epistemological framework. It's like, it's like a prison you can't get out of. It's a prison we can't get out of, but I know that sounds extremely vague to a whole bunch of people. So we wanted to fill these, this idea out with a couple case studies so that we could kind of think through, well, what is this radical middle that bursts off of this continuum or jumps off of these tracks and does something different? So today we're going to talk about not sharing the gospel. Or at least not sharing the gospel, perhaps, that we've been received. That doesn't come to people as good news. From Northern Seminary, in partnership with Missio Alliance, this is Theology on Mission, the podcast exploring God and integrating faith and life. Here are your hosts, Jeff Holsclaw and David Fitch. All right, so the gospel. We are evangelicals of an evangelical institution, and as maybe we should know, the word gospel and evangel or euangelion, these are all similar words. And so. Euangelion is Greek. Yes, it's Greek. Thank you. Thank you. Because you went to Trinity Seminary, you think you know everything about Greek. You're a New Testament scholar, or you were. Anyhow, oh my gosh, all over the place. So, but a lot of times this uh, gospel maybe is too small. Uh, and then sometimes we have missional and scary quotes types trying to enlarge the gospel, but it gets so big maybe that it's something that we can't even share, can't even bring into people's lives. So we want to talk about well, what is this gospel and how does it work? So we want to start off on a negative kind of uh, kind of a situation. So we know a guy. This is where we throw Dustin under the bus. Yes, we love Dustin. Dustin. Poor Dustin. I found out later he didn't really like the fact that we used his name, Dustin, in the book. I thought I had full permission to use his name in the book. Evidently so we not. know a guy. <laughs> Let's change his name. Let's, Let's change, his, change name. his name from Dustin to something else. My favorite villain name, George. Can I tell the story? George. Go yes, with George. So there's this guy. We know a guy. So he was at Starbucks uh, with a friend, a colleague, who was pouring out her heart just about how... Her life had kind of run into multiple dead ends. She felt stuck. She was just very depressed. And kind of that non, uh, non-committal kind of the mentioning how life is worthless and maybe she would end it at some point. Um, Justin's sitting there wanting to bring the hope of Jesus into her life. But in his brain, he only had what he had been given. He only had what he had been the given. The formula. Which was a formula that starts with guilt. It starts with this place of making people know 
uh, that they're sinners. The and formula. That guilty of their sin. And once you get them to the place of recognizing that they're sinners and guilty for their sin, then and only then can you bring them to the place of understanding that Jesus forgives them of their sin. And hooray, they don't have to be eternally punished, and now they can have their rewards in heaven or something of that fashion. Now, now you and I have been on record in multiple places that we don't think that that's not the gospel and that that's, some of those things aren't involved and that we don't live under guilt because of sin. But the question is, is that the entire gospel, and would that have been good news to this woman at the time? Well, I think, you know, and I remember Dustin telling this story uh, at the opening of, of Life of the Vine Gathering Sunday morning, which is Stories of Wonder. And he was you mean telling George, the, not Dustin. I mean George. And he was telling the story wonderfully about how this woman had basically opened up her life to him after years, and, and he was present there with her, and he knew her whole story, but he didn't know how to have any other entry point than the guilt, salvation, pardon from sin, substitutionary atonement, which he had been taught in in his church growing up. And I think it's important to understand that uh, uh, A, Dustin spent a lot of time there in Starbucks, and that presence gave him the ability to locate an entry point for the gospel. But there are numerous entry points, too many probably to even quantify. And so she was depressed. She was suicidal. She, everything she had hoped for was up for grabs or in the trash bin. And what did she have to live for now? And now is not the time to go at, do you know where you're going when you die? Are you, do you know you're condemned to hell? You understand how incongruous that is? And that's the, really the first point that needs to be made is the gospel is is not one formula. Uh, back in the days when Billy Graham got up and drew 100,000 people to a stadium to what was basically an evangelistic Sunday morning service broadcast uh, in a stadium and you could get 100,000 people to come, there was basically a monolithic culture among, I'll put it this way, white people, white evangelicals, and uh, you could use that formula on anybody who was another white evangelical. Now there is no, not, there's not even a monolithic culture among white people, never mind the multi-various uh, cultures, um, ethnicities, sub-economic groups that compose the United States of America. So we need to be particularly sensitive that we need to contextualize and engage and be present long enough to locate the entry point. Right, and so that was kind of the conservative evangelical answer that he'd been given, but there is kind of another answer that, that is out there that wouldn't have met this woman where she is either. This is kind of the, the swinging back and forth between the individual uh, salvation to the corporate or social salvation. We've kind of sometimes, and this is the progressive kind of orientation, is that there's a personal gospel of sin, and we, you know, a lot of people turn to Paul and the doctrine of justification and things like this, and substitutionary atonement, and then the swing of the pendulum or the the parallel track uh, is a social gospel of liberation, and this is often Jesus and the kingdom, and so you get Jesus and Paul pitted against each other in justification. We get these different categories. Uh, but it, and then you shift from it's a particular version of Jesus in the kingdom. right. Yeah, no, exactly. You're right. So and you know, there's not just getting to heaven, but there's how are we saving Earth? And so there's kind of these parallel things. But uh, for this woman, that 
wouldn't necessarily have been good news either. Oh, I know you're depressed, you know, and your life uh, feels like a dead end, but uh, but you can change the world. Let's join the party of changing the world because that'll make your life feel a lot better. And, so, and it is amazing how that version of the gospel, and it is a good version of the gospel, it is, yes, appeals it's part of the gospel. to affluent white uh, young Americans like like you. Let's stop with this. Well... So, <laughs> So you're looking at my tie clip there, aren't you? So, um, right, I, I think you're quite right, is that there's this, uh, there's a sense that well-put-together people don't just want to rush off to heaven, but they have a, feel an obligation, and they have resources and energy, and so they want to pour themselves out. But that's also a small and shrinking group of people. What about those with different, you know, mental illnesses and addictions, and they're down and out? And does, uh, how, how can the gospel speak fully to those right. kind of people right and and so uh, so we have uh, a development in New Testament studies in the last actually it's probably over 30 years old now uh, at least as it landed here in North America called the new perspective on Paul and all the various uh, derivatives thereof and I think you know basically you could summarize what N.T. Wright has summarized the gospel as God has fulfilled his promise to the nation of Israel, uh, to bless the nations and make all things right. Make the uh, and so God is at work in the world, making all things right through Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the promise. So, um, and by the way, what what favorite book? I mean, other than our our comrades, Scott McKnight's book, King Jesus Gospel, which is an es- excellent short summary of that. Uh, N.T. Wright, uh, actually, I think he. Well, another good. short summary would be. Uh, what St. Paul really said is one of No, I, no, no. Well, that's, no that's me. I, simply, simply the gospel is an interesting one. Uh, how God Became King is another one by N.T. Wright. Both of those by N.T. Wright. But anyways, yeah. So here we have a version of the gospel. God has fulfilled his promise in Jesus Christ to make all things right. Now, often what that looks like to me is Jesus is Lord over the world and he's Lord over your life, and he is at work in these circumstances. And in the way I would say it, because Paul says, proclaim the gospel out of weakness. I did not come in wisdom and brilliant words and argument. I would just say, I believe out of my own life for you that God is at work in your life, and he's working to renew out of all these circumstances. He's bringing his purposes about in your life. Can you receive that? Can you see it? And then we might talk some more about all these circumstances. But, you know, the, the point is an entry point uh, by which someone can say, yes, I make Jesus Lord of my life in these circumstances, and I will by faith follow him to the next step, knowing that he's working in these things for his purposes, not only in the world, but in my life for the world. That's the way I see um the general, the general, broad statement of what the gospel is, First Corinthians chapter fifteen, applied to this girl, this woman in Starbucks.
So you kind of skipped a step there. I did. Yes. So you went from kind of either the personal social, the personal salvation, or the social gospel salvation, and you moved straight to individual stories. But part of the the move of the new perspective, and that Scott really brings out, is that it's not the, the first question isn't how do we get saved, but the gospel is really who it's about who saves us, right? Yeah. The gospel is not a plan of salvation. And it's not the steps necessary so that we could be saved. Rather, the gospel just is a person, and the person is Jesus. So and someone like N.T. Wright will say, well, the gospel in a condensed form, as he said, is the gospel is the crucified and risen Messiah is Lord. So there's mm-hmm. just these different ways of saying who Jesus mm-hmm. is. He's the mm-hmm. Lord, but he's also the Messiah. But yeah. he, was, he was risen, and he was crucified. And all these things are integral to who he is and what he's done. And then Scott McKnight brings us, as you said, to... Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, which I think is a really interesting passage because when you really look, since we brought up Greek already, when you really look at it, um, the English translations also say, hold on to, to the word that I preached to you about the gospel or something like that. But it's really a verbal form of gospel. So he's really saying, I gospelized you with the gospel. Or you were uh, evangelized with the gospel. And so he's using those words together. And it's just all about who is Jesus and what has he done. He was, he was crucified, he was raised, and he appeared. And these are the essential things of the gospel. Or so another way to say that, it's about a whole story. It's not only... So, for instance... It's about a person who fits into a story. Right. And uh, the amazing thing about this gospel is it's just so... The story is so all-encompassing. Hans Frey says it absorbs the world into it. And so there's virtually not a situation where... Uh, this gospel cannot be addressed into and uh, and, and be invited into. So uh, the thing, the part about, well, I digress, but I just think the way the cross uh, embodies how God's working in the world to work in and through suffering, not violence, to unwind all of the vicious anger, antagonisms, brutalities, violences, uh, to bring us into a whole reconciliation one with another and with God is 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 an amazing part of that story. So, you know, how might we un how might this person's entanglements with unreconciled relationships and broken relationships and anger over this and that and this and that, how might Jesus lead her by his lordship over her life into a new place, the place of the kingdom? Right, and so. And you just said the word lordship a whole bunch, which is what we really want to focus on, is that between kind of the personal salvation and the social justice uh, work, there's actually what we want to explode into just the cosmic salvation. Is there Jesus who is the crucified and risen Messiah? He is Lord. He is the creator. He is the recreator. He is doing this, as the New Testament always says, a new beginning. He's doing a new creation. He's setting all things right. And so it's actually much bigger even than just us and a group of people. It's all of creation. But it starts somewhere. But it starts somewhere. And so there's this sense of how it's, it's, it's huge. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's universal if we could use those terms that post, good postmodernists would never want to use. But it's so... But it, That's it not starts, entirely true. But it's particular. Uh, it starts the particular, with the particular people. To the universal. Right. And so it's this... So, so sometimes to maybe a progressive type mentality, when we talk about the cosmic Jesus 
who is making a personal uh, transformation, it can sound like we're doubling down on the personal Jesus. We just want to talk about this person Jesus and not what he's done or yeah. those things. And to the conservatives, it can kind of sound like we're souping up uh, the gospel so we can be social gospel type of people uh, under cover of this cosmic kind of Christ or something like that. And so, because last uh, podcast, we were always talking about how these things can be misunderstood very easily. What's that? I don't know. I think someone's cleaning something nearby. Uh, by the way, uh, we're in uh, Griffith's Conference <laughs> Room in Northern Baptist Seminary Library, and there's a bathroom about, oh, 20 feet from here, and you take a right. I think something's going on in that bathroom. Do we need to go investigate? No. We're going to cut I don't want to go anywhere near it. Okay, off. I just want to say one more thing about this. Okay. Uh, I have a... I... I, I I think it's really important to... Man, that sound is getting distracting. Sorry, hone in. Uh, I think it's important to realize the entry point always leads to the whole. And so what uh, some of my Reformed friends are a little worried about is, hey, you're, get, you're dumping the substitutionary atonement. The fact of the reality is God in Christ uh, has forgiven sin, pardoned those who were... Uh, unjust, made the unjust just, the right, unrighteous righteous, the imputation of God's righteousness through Jesus Christ and his payment on the cross. Well, I just want to say, I still think that's part of the gospel. Maybe I don't like some of that forensic language, but the representational aspect of Jesus Christ, Lamb of God, taking on the sins of the world, is still really important to me. But it might not be the entry point. I remember growing up in Canada, uh, I uh, learned French off the back of cereal boxes. I would get up every morning and probably eat what was really crappy cereal, way too much sugar, post-alphabets, Cheerios, etc. But on the back, everything was translated from, from English to French. It was English and French. And I started learning vocabulary in French. But uh, it was an entry point. But then I'd go to a third grade class, fourth grade class, fifth grade class, on and on and on with this uh, nice uh, woman who was sort of old, had blue hair. Ripity! Ripity! She'd slap her, her uh, ruler on the table and, like, you know, beat the crap out of me if I couldn't get the right word. And, and frankly, it didn't work for me. I didn't learn French very well. And so the discipleship never happened for me. I never learned French. But think if someone would have had been able to take that entry point and expanded it further and further and further. I would have, the whole of the French world would have been open to me, and I would have seen everything. Uh, I, I would have understood what it meant to see the world through French eyes. But no, that woman in fifth grade really did a number on me. Anyways, my point is, um, the entry point is will always eventually lead to the whole. We don't have to worry about that. We have to focus on the entry point and let God fill out one's discipleship in the fullness of Christ. And so when it comes to something like evangelism, you're saying we need to meet people where they are. That doesn't mean all of theology and our faith gets retranslated or transformed. It just means we bring in the peace that's relevant there. And so uh, if somebody is dealing with having done some horrible thing or really blown it and they are just burdened with guilt, then bring up forgiveness. Bring up those different aspects. But if somebody is feeling uh, just enslaved to different addictions, and are feeling unable to break bad habits, then we bring in the victory of Christ. Right, and, and, then, and, then, and then it will probably lead at some point in their life, maybe very, very soon, to, because a lot of addictions are related to shame, etc., etc. Maybe then they will discover the forgiveness of Christ 
uh, and the grace that is in that forgiveness and, and that will move them further into the depths and wonders of the gospel for their lives. But we need to focus on an entry point first or else we'll have the George moment in Starbucks. So someone who's dealing with depression, feeling like their life is at a dead end, you know, we can bring up being made in the image of God and how Christ is renewing and, and causing new beginnings, mm-hmm. all right? And that can go into the victory of Christ. That can go into the forgiveness of Christ. And these, so, so what we want to encourage everyone who's listening and all of us as we think through these things is, is two things, at least I will, and then Dave, you can throw this in, is, is one, is do you know for yourself the ways God has, Jesus has met you and transformed your life? I thought, I thought life? you were going to say, you know where you're going when you're done. <laughs> yes, <yeah. laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> okay, right, back. So, so do you know your own story of how God uh, in Christ by the Spirit has worked and changed and transformed you and met you in those places of need, in those places of despair, in those places of guilt? Uh and can you, do you have like a sense of those things? And can you then bring them to bear appropriately to other people? And can you fit God's story of your life and kind of blend it with other people? That's, that's what we think evangelism is. It's sharing how God has met you in your story and relating that to someone else's. You got any last tips there? You talked about on-ramps and entry points. Yeah, just turn, what, what's that chapter in uh, Prodigal Christianity where we deal with that? Is that chapter the five gospel? or six or four or someplace? That's uh, Five or six. Five or six, yeah. It's 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 a little. Uh, it's brilliant and amazing. It is brilliant. And amazing. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. You got the last thoughts there. That's it. That's my last thought. All right. So that's a one little way to think of how do we get off the train? How can we think of the gospel differently? That's neither just conservative evangelical or Protestants, liberal. However, we define those things, but. We can't ever finish without two things. So let's talk about Fitch versus Fitch. Mm. Although this is kind of taking a detour. Mm. It's a little detour on the Fitch versus Fitch realm. So mm. last night you Fitch. said, and I don't think you asked your wife if you could say this, but you know. Last night you said, tonight at my place, Toronto Argos versus the Hamilton Ticats. Yeah. What does that even mean? Were you watching uh, some sort of anime series about Greek you know, Titans that's, that's, battling Thundercats or something? That's not even funny. Who are uh, the Toronto Argos and the Hamilton uh, uh, Tri-Cats? Yeah. You know, try to make fun of this all you want. <laughs> but the Tri-Cats beat up on the Argos uh, Monday night, and I'm so glad that ESPN2 has it on television now. And I was just trying to invite other people uh, to my house to enjoy the game. Of course... Uh, you said I didn't have to tell my wife. I didn't have to tell my wife because no one was going to come. So uh, <laughs> I didn't expect anybody. He invited to come. people to come over and watch a Canadian football game. So there we go. Love the Tie Cats. They're three and two, best team in the Eastern Division. I'm really looking forward to this year. I'm looking forward to the Great Cup. And by the way, when I do have the Great Cup party at my house, come this year because last year we were packed out. All right. I believe it. All right. So our next uh, segment we like to come back to is what are you reading? What are you reading? So, Dave. You go first. What, what am I reading? I am reading uh, a great book that um, Cherith V. Nordling, our colleague here at Northern Seminary, she recommended to me. Uh, it's called Delighting in the Trinity. 
Now, usually you think that a book on the Trinity is very dry and boring and academic, but this one is incredibly pastoral. It links the doctrine of the Trinity to our ordinary lives and how we're being gathered up into the life of God. So it talks about the Father and the Father's work in creation and the Son's work in recreation and how that is applied to us through the life of the Spirit. This is very pastoral. I love it. Delighting in the Trinity. Mm. That really didn't excite me. It's awesome. You could have said something like, I don't This know. is not an advertisement. This is what I'm reading. Well, I, I if it's that good, I want to know why. I said it integrate. Okay. Now, number, uh, okay, so I'm reading this book, Oriented to Faith, by Tim Otto. Tim, thanks for sending me this book. Thanks for contacting me. This is an absolutely spectacular book, published by Cascade and Eugene, Oriented to Faith, by Tim Otto, Transforming the Conflict Over Gay Relationships. We often talk about a third way, in the way that the church can be present in and among all the conflicts surrounding alternative sexualities, which, by the way, reveal all the conflicts we have. We, meaning those of us who are heterosexual uh, or um, married uh, in heterosexual relationships. And so this book is one of the first books I've seen uh, to really open up a space for a different kind of engagement very fair to both sides. I don't agree with everything in this book. Who does? Who agrees with anything and everything on in one book? But uh, Tim, uh, I applaud you for writing this book. Uh, we ought to sell a million copies of this book. I think this gets us going in the right direction. Tim Otto, Oriented to Faith, Cascade Books. All right. Well, uh, before we wrap up, quick announcement. The Missional Learning Commons is coming up soon. We gave out a little bit of false information that we said that it was going to be at the end of October. Actually, it's at the beginning of November. So the first week of November, November 6th and 7th, the Missional Learning Commons, our theme is going to be preaching and mission. So follow us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter so you don't miss any of those details once we finalize them. Well, that's it for today. This is Jeff Wolfsclaw, Dave Fitch signing off. You can find he and I on Twitter and Facebook. Until next time, from Northern Seminary, we're out of here. Griffith's Conference Room. <laughs> See you next time.